Well, as I was saying, we were ready for baptism last week, and we had big plans for last weekend, and most of you have been around here. If you've been around here, our water baptisms are kind of a big event. They're a big deal to us. First of all, it's an outward expression of what God's done in people's lives, and, and, and we usually always have about double people get baptized than were signed up to be baptized, and uh, it's just this thing that God's been doing, and then spontaneous baptisms happen. It's a party. It's a celebration. And so we were all ready for that last week, and then, uh, of course, you know the news, and we had to cancel church, and as I said, the floor got flooded, and uh, I'm just wondering, what do you do in life when things don't work out the way you planned? Has anybody ever had that? (laughs) Come on, you better raise your hand on that one, right? I mean, wait a minute, let's back up a little bit. It's easy to raise your hand when you think, well, I was out of the will of God. But have you ever felt very specific, man, God has called me to do this. God has directed me to do this. I feel passionate about this. And yet it ended up sideways. It looked like a disaster. Anybody at all? In Christian circles, when that happens, at least the Christian circle I grew up in, when something, when we thought it was God's will for our life and we would do it and it didn't end up good, we had cute little answers for that. We would say things like, well, they missed God on that one. <laughs> or, or we'd say things like, well, God wasn't in that. Anybody ever heard that? Somebody, oh, God's called me to, and then it ends up being a train wreck. And, and, and it's easy to sit back and look at someone else's life and go, God wasn't in that. If God was in that, it wouldn't have been such a disaster. But I wonder if that's really true. I wonder if that's true, or is it an easy way to explain what doesn't make sense to us? Come on, you have to raise your hand for this. Have you ever had God do something in your life that made absolutely no sense, and it's been years and it still doesn't make sense? I just don't understand what God was up to. It it wasn't successful, and so oftentimes how we define success, we'll say, well, God must have not been in that. But I've become convinced in life that our definition of success and God's definition of success sometimes might be totally different. I'm not even sure if I even really totally understand, if I'm using our world and our culture's definition of success, I'm not really even sure that I understand the difference. Uh, Just hang with me through this statement. I'm not sure that I understand the difference between success and failure anymore. Because what I might call a failure... God might leverage it because he has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. And what the enemy meant for bad anyway, God can turn it around and leverage it for good and catapult me right into the middle of where he wanted me anyway. So what's the difference between success and failure anyway when I'm a child of God? Come on, somebody, right? He can make something great out of something bad. You know that's true, right? I know it happened in my own life, in my ministry life, um, I, for a long season, everything I touched, really, it just seemed like it turned to gold. I started in ministry when I was 19 years old. I was 21 years old and became the interim pastor of a church. And um, that little church grew from about 80 people to 150 people. And that was the biggest church I'd ever been in in my life. I mean, that was like, that was like mega church to this small town kid that had never been in a church more than 100. And when it did it, when I was preaching it, 21 man I thought this is heaven 
And then uh, just throughout our ministry life, we took our first lead pastor church at 27. It was in bankruptcy, and God blessed it and multiplied it. And uh, it, it, it was just great. And it just seemed like everything I put my hands to, God blessed it, and it turned to gold until I moved to Mount Vernon. And I came to Mount Vernon, and it felt as though the wheels fell off. And for the first time in my ministry, I was now in my 40s, and for the first time in my ministry, I had to deal with what I perceived as failure. And when I, I began to perceive it as failure, I began to be critical of myself. And, 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 but now when I look back on what I perceived as failure, it's hard for me to still label that as failure. Because if the wheels hadn't have fallen off, if I hadn't had a train wreck, if I hadn't have gone sideways, if circumstances hadn't have happened, if I, if I wouldn't have got discouraged, there was no moral issues, but, 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 but how many know discouragement can be one of the enemy's worst tools, right, everybody? And, and, and I was discouraged, and, and I slipped for the first time in my life. I was literally depressed. I wanted to leave ministry. I didn't want to see anybody. I would call that a failure. For the first time in my ministry, I had negative press I and and it fueled my own insecurities but when I look back upon it now it's hard for me to label that season as a failure season because if it hadn't been for that season I'm not sure that I would have discovered the depths of my insecurities come on now if it hadn't have been for that season, I'm not sure that I would have fully dug deeper into my identity and my calling. I'm not sure that I would have sought after healing like I did if it hadn't have been for that season. If it hadn't have been for that season, I wouldn't have invested the money to go to counseling and begin to find some wounds that had been buried and never healed in my life. If it hadn't have been for the season that I labeled failure, come on somebody, I'm not sure that I would be as whole as I am today. So how can I I even call that thing failure anyway can anybody relate I spoke this verse uh, a number of years ago uh, to a small group of people in Michigan and one day we were sitting around the family and uh, Carmen asked me she said when are you gonna ever preach that message out of Judges 14 again I said that was kind of a riff I don't have any notes on it. I don't have a file on it. I, I think that was one of those days when I was really searching the will of God and I wrote a few notes on a, on a napkin and I just jumped out there and preached it and it came out good. By the way, that doesn't happen very often, everybody. And, and, and so she found a little video clip of it and sent it to me and said, make this into a message. And back then I called this message, even though we're dealing with the still waiting and the will of God, I called this message my problem with verse number four. And I want to dive back into it. It's a story of Samson in the book of Judges, and it helps us understand the will of God or the calling of God or even the voice of God or the direction of God, which is what this series is about, maybe from a perspective that you've never considered before. So let's dive into it. You ready to learn something? Come on, let's dive into it. Judges chapter number 14, it says this, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen the Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? 
But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Here's verse number four. And I want you to notice verse number four is a parenthetical statement. I'll come back and talk about it in a minute. But here's verse number four. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. How many know when God wants to direct our life, He doesn't always send down a little Cupid angel on a little fluffy cloud playing a, playing a harp and, and, and a nice, pretty, angelic voice? How many knows that sometimes when He wants to direct our life, He'll mess our lives up? He'll get us uncomfortable to get us out of the nest? Come on, somebody, right? Uh, he, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for on that time they were ruling over Israel. Go ahead and give me a little bit more of that. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. Here's your clue that you might be out of the will of God. Remember when I said, have you ever thought God was in it? And then the lion comes out. Have you ever had a lion come out on your plans? Come on now, right? And, and, and that's about the time I might be thinking, you know what, I might not be in the will of God. He's on the road to go get this woman, and a young lion comes roaring toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Wow. As he might have torn a young goat. Like, this just rocks my world. Like he might have torn a young goat. Like that's an everyday occurrence. Like we just do that. You know, kind of like we just ripped a goat apart. Okay, anyway, but I'm still impressed with the young goat being ripped, you know, much less the lion. Okay, sorry. But he told neither his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Give me a, just a little bit more, or is that all I got? I think that's all I got right there. Um, and he liked her. Yeah, that's all I have for now. Okay, let me unpack this verse just a little bit, and, and let me give you the surrounding of this. First of all, Samson is a Hebrew boy, and at this time in history, the Philistines have authority over the Hebrews, and they have uh, power and authority, and according to law, they are not supposed to mix or intermarry. So Samson should not be checking out a woman from Timnah. That's why his mom and dad made this crazy statement, like, why do you have to be attracted to her? Can't you find somebody amongst your relatives? Now, how many know already that's a whacked out statement, right, everybody? I mean, I can almost hear banjo music playing in the background, you know? Like, can't you find a relative to Mary? Okay, anyway, I'm going to hold the jokes. But, but, but that, that's what's happening here. And, and so, so he's passionate about something that if you read the rest of the chapter, you're going to find out ends up in a disaster. Have you ever been passionate about something that you thought was God only to end up in a disaster? Without reading the rest of the chapter, let me tell you what happens here. He sees this woman from Timnah. He tells his parents to get her for him. And, and they know that it's wrong, but they didn't know that God was in it. How could God be in something that's going to end up in a disaster? Verse number 4 messes with everything I know about the will of God. 
How could God be in some... If you know the rest of the chapter, you would be asking the same question. Let me tell you the rest of the chapter. So he goes down to marry this woman, but before the honeymoon is even done with, a series of events happen, and one of his groomsmen ends up with the wife that he just married before the honeymoon is even over with. How many know that's a train wreck? Come on, somebody. This is worse than The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is not a good picture. How can I be passionate about something, feel that God is in it, and God say, verse number four, but he didn't know that God was in it. He didn't know that God was in the train wreck. He didn't know that God was in the failure. He didn't know that God was in it when everything went bad. Is anybody glad, by the way, that God is in it, even though it does go bad? But how can God be in it, and and can He prevent it from going bad? That's what I want to know, right? So this wedding ceremony happens, and the best friend ends up with with, with the wife. It's tragic. He is passionate about something that becomes a major disaster. But God uses it to lead him. Watch this. God uses it to lead Samson to his ultimate purpose. I would submit to you before we go any further that he uses this tragedy to reveal to Samson the strength that is hidden in his life that he may never have discovered if he hadn't have been faced with a problem. Come on now. I wonder if we'll, ever, if we'll ever come face to face with all that God has for us if we, don't have, if we don't experience a few floods here and there. If we don't experience a few detours, a few disappointments, a little bit of pain. Because I would submit that our power is birthed out of our pain, everybody. And our ministry is birthed out of our misery. But none of us want to go through the misery or the pain. Am I right about that, right? Verse 4 has a collision with my understanding of God's will. It just does. Everything in the Bible doesn't make sense to me, does it to you? All of God's will doesn't make sense to me. If I was God and I was trying to promote a relationship with Him, there's some things in there that I would have left out. There's some stories, particularly over there in the Old Testament, That I would have left out. Would anybody agree with me, right? Everything looks wrong, but it ends up right. Now, I'm not telling you to go rebel. I'm telling you that God might be in it. I'm telling you that things might not look pretty all the time, but God can be right in the middle of the things that don't look good. We're talking about the will of God, and we're in this series we're discerning how do we know and how do we discern the will of God. Let, let me give you a few, and most of these will come from the life of Samson, from the story I just read to you. Most of these won't be profound revelations. You'll probably already know them. But I think there's one hidden in this story that might be a, a fresh idea of how we discern what God's doing in our life. Let me give you a short list of some things that maybe just would serve as reminders. Typically, when we're trying to discover God's will and God's direction in our life, number one, here's some real practical ones. Number one, we follow what we're passionate about. If you're trying to discover God's plans and purposes for your life, the first thing I would do is tell you to follow what you're passionate about. Now hold on. 
I'm going to talk more about this point next week because this could be confusing. If you're not living for God and serving God and desiring to please God, how many know your passions might not be the thing you ought to be following, right? But he says delight in Him and He will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know that God has wired every one of us a certain way? He's put passions and He's put interests in every single person here. What I love about this story is that Samson had to walk by hundreds of other women. He walked past hundreds of other women and hundreds of other opportunities. But nothing captured his heart like the woman from Timnah. Nothing stirred the passion in him like the woman from Timnah. And do you know that there are only certain things that will capture your heart? There are certain things that you are passionate about, and those are the things that God has put in you. Now, if we're not careful, what we're passionate about can become perverted, but maybe the passion is what God put inside of you. Come on, are you hearing that today? I love Samson because he's passionate. He, he's passionate about her. It's interesting I wonder if there's anybody in the room like this. Maybe you're watching online you can say, is there anybody here that you're naturally not passionate about what's safe? It just seems like what you're passionate about always has some kind of risk involved, right? Pack up everything and move to Mount Vernon and start a church. Come on, am I Samson? Samson is not passionate about marrying a woman from his own tribe. Safe, nine to five, with vacation pay. And retirement package. Come on now. Samson is passionate about something that has the propensity and the possibility of going radically wrong. I wonder if that's not a good place to live. I wonder if it's not a good place to live to be, uh, be passionate about the thing that unless God intervenes, it's going to go really bad. Mm. Hey, uh, um. Sometimes it's hard to communicate externally what's going on internally. Does that make sense? He told his parents, he said, go get her for me. It's hard for him to explain to them what's going on inside. Have you ever had a hard time trying to describe to somebody what you feel God is doing in your life? Come on, everybody, right? When, when me and Patty met, I, I think it was the year 1986 when we first met. And, and I walked into church, and there she was with her Farrah Fawcett hair over there playing a keyboard. And a keyboard, now that was like rebel material because the church I grew up in, you could only play the organ. But this was a synthesizer, everybody. Come on, does anybody remember the days? I walked up to her, and I met her, and I secretly thought to myself, Oh God, oh God in heaven, please, dear Jesus, let this be the woman that I marry. I knew it! Now, I don't know what she was thinking. Sometimes it's hard to communicate externally what's going on internally. Sometimes the evidence externally don't match what's happening internally uh come on now see 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 for her to like me was a bigger step of faith than for me to like her Be because when i showed up in her life let's see let, let, let's just talk about some of the externals i had no job how many know that's a negative uh my car had just got stolen i didn't have a car how many know that's a negative right 
Uh, the only clothes I had was workout clothes, and that was it, uh, because all of my rest of my clothes were still down in Jackson, Mississippi. How many know that's a negative, right? Uh, uh, there, there was a whole lot of bad externally because Patty comes from a home that's very logical, very thought out, very conservative. Uh, uh, um, I had an idea that I was going to be in ministry, but I couldn't map it out. I couldn't tell her first we're going to do A and then we're going to do B and then we'll get to C and then we'll start killing some lions and some goats and stuff. No, no, I, I couldn't map any of that out. And, and if I was her dad, if, if I was her dad, I would have forbid her to go out on a date with me. I would have said, not over my dead body. Flip-flop, short, tank top, long hair, wearing boy that doesn't have a job or a car or even a plan. It's hard to communicate what's happening internally when it doesn't add up externally. Uh, see, I didn't have all the external thing, but I had the X factor. Come on now. She couldn't help what was going on on the inside. She just had the I can't help it, right? I really thought I'd get a better response than that. But anyway, that's where Samson was. It didn't make sense on the outside. It doesn't make sense during a pandemic to keep bringing your money and being faithful to the Lord in your finances. It doesn't make sense on the outside to quit a good job, to follow what God might be saying. It Sometimes what God wants us to do doesn't make sense externally. It only makes sense internally. And help me know, it's hard to communicate to somebody that's not passionate what you are passionate about. His mom and dad, I don't get it. What's up with that? She ain't even all that. But what was on the inside, right? When we're trying to follow the will of God, number two, is we have to leverage the talents that we have. Because how many know that that passion is not always enough? Right? Welcome. Passion isn't always enough. I mean, no, if you're going to be passionate about something, you also have to have some talents to go with the passion. And God can put the talents in you. If God can put the passion in you, God can put the talents in you. Come on, everybody, right? So you have to leverage those. God has put gifts inside of every one of us. He's put passions in every one of us. And, 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 and we have to work those giftings and those passions. Uh, he, he will often call us out of our comfort zone but God's not going to call us out of our talent zone. If he didn't put the talent in you, there might be a clue that's not what he's calling you to. Come on, I know it's a terribly old illustration, and I know it's going to date me, but how many of you, I mean, American Idol has been on for like 20 years now, and every year some joker gets up there and they say, I'm going to be the next American Idol, right? And they get up there and sing some song like Pants on the Ground. You know what I'm saying? It's like terrible. Dogs are howling. They, they say, how come you think you're going to be the next American Idol? Well, I'm passionate about it. Well, who told you you're good? My grandma told me I'm good. And they get up, and it's a disaster, right? You see, they have the passion, but they don't have the talent. And how I many know, there's something, listen, there's some things I could work on from now till Jesus comes, and at best, I might move the thermometer from a three to a five, but nobody's ever going to pay me to be a five. Right? So there has to be a talent. What talent has God put inside of you? There's some things that you're just not qualified to do. And that's okay because learning what you're not good at 
helps us realize what we are good at. Come on, let me just put it down in the church level, okay? Can you guys handle this? Not everybody in the church ought to be a church greeter. How many know the person I'm talking about that shouldn't be the church greeter, right? Uh, you, you know who I'm talking about. Just should not be the greeter because we want greeters to be friendly and we want them to smile. And how many know some Christians that's not their spiritual gift? How many know what I'm talking about, right? It's like they look like they've been sucking on lemons all week. They are not the great. Now, they're valuable. The good news is they're going to heaven, but that's not their talent. I mean, no, there's some people we just don't want back there working with your kids. And aren't you glad that we uh, pay attention to that, right? Right? Okay, number three. The third thing when we're trying to discover God's will is we have to understand our own life story. This is one that is often overlooked. What is your life story? What makes you laugh? What gives you joy? What has broken your heart? What makes you angry? What do you cry about? What gets you sad? What are the stories you look back on that were positive, that were negative, that make you smile? What are the stories that you look back on the most and you reminisce about? What is your life story? And maybe your life story might be some indicator of what God has for you. Let me just say it another way. Maybe the pains you've been through are some indicators of how God might want to use you. Let me say it another way then. Maybe the experiences we've had in life, we shouldn't let those experiences go to waste. Even the bad experiences, even the hurtful experiences, even the bad experiences, even the experiences that have made us cry and make us angry. Maybe we shouldn't waste those experiences because there's something about the experience that stirs something up inside of us and maybe that thing ought to be considered for what God is doing in our life. Don't waste those experiences. Often what happens to us propels us and pushes us towards our calling. My childhood I've talked about many times, and, 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 and it wasn't the best. And, and I won't get all into that, but it wasn't always the best. In my elementary years, I moved around a lot. Uh, I lived in a lot of different environments. Uh, um, and, and, and as a little boy, I was very fearful. I was very standoffish from people. Um, uh, as I became a teenager, it was pretty much my mom working all the time. We lived in a little trailer, and she would work really hard just to put food on the table. I started working a full-time job since the time I was 14, uh, and, and, and so I understand the struggle. Fast forward 23, I'm 23 years old, I'm in Argentina with seven pastors, and every day we're visiting these little single moms and these little mud shacks and these little little uh, shanties with mud floors and aluminum uh, or metal makeshift little houses and little forts. Most of us have better tree forts than that. The night of the big crusade, 3,000 people were going to be there. I was 23. I'd never been in a church more than 150 in my entire life. These seven pastors began to talk which one of them would preach. I was just there to carry the luggage. One of them spoke up and said, I think Ken ought to speak that crusade. That night I got ready to preach. I didn't know what to preach, and I don't know why they chose me. I have no idea why they chose me. But I have a feeling that God knew that what I'd been through as a child could relate to those people living in them little mud huts and them little mamas doing everything they could to feed their families. 
And I got up that night and I preached. I'll never forget, I preached a message called Rabbi or Redeemer. And I remember relating to just those meager existences. I gave an altar call and over a thousand people stood to their feet to give their life to Jesus. And ever since then, my ministry has always been, I'm always looking out for the down and outers and the single mamas and those that are struggling to get by. Not just the homeless, but the hurting. You see, maybe it's your pain that wants to push you towards your calling, somebody. Right? Come on now. Maybe it's the hurt you've experienced. Maybe it's the loss and how you've learned how to lean on Jesus during the loss where you can now comfort somebody else that has been in loss. I think it's a tragedy when we try to put everything together in a neat little package and try to pretend that we don't have any pains or we don't have any struggles because it could be that addiction that you've come through, that struggle you come through, that, that heartache that you came through that is the very thing that God is wanting to leverage, but you've been too busy hiding it because you're ashamed of what you've been through. But God, you've made it your parenthetical statement, but God wants to make it your title page. Come on, somebody. Is anybody hearing that tonight? Number four, I think the fourth reason or the fourth way we help discover God's will in our life is we have to watch for open doors and closed doors. Now, I'm just going to hit on this really briefly. Next week, I'm going to talk extensively about open doors and closed doors. But the Bible tells us that God can open a door that no man can close. And he can also close a door that no man can open. I say it another way. Watch for green lights and red lights. And just if it, but now on every door. Now next week I'll talk about how to discern some of those things. And one thing we should never, you, you don't have to push your own door open. If God's for you, God will open the door. You don't have to worry about, oh, I got to get out there and meet the right person and do the right thing. And it's gotta, you, you don't have to start shoving doors open. And, and let me throw this out there too. God's calling is without repentance. So if He's called you to do something, He didn't make a mistake. His calling is without repentance. You haven't made too many mistakes that God changed His mind now about what He wants you to do. His calling is without repentance. See, even Jesus waited for the open door, everybody. He didn't jump out turning water into wine. <laughs> he, he didn't jump out healing blind eyes. He walked this earth for 30 years so that he could do three years of ministry. He waited for his appointed time. He waited for the open door. Number five, I, I, I think, um, by the way, right before I go to number five, when we talk about open doors tomorrow, you can come back if you want to, or if you're, uh, if you're watching online, get dressed and get on down here, because tomorrow, watch it, tomorrow's going to be an open door, and tomorrow, you might not have even, you've been stirring like, man, God wants to take me deeper, God wants to do something in my life, here's what I would encourage you, watch for the opportunities, watch for the open doors, watch, listen, what is God saying, what opportunities have you been confronted with today, tomorrow, the next day, what things happened this week that maybe God is using this little thing to lead me to the next thing, what open doors are there that we're just ignoring, tomorrow, we're going to give people an opportunity to be baptized, and I guarantee you, somebody you'll be sitting here going oh that's an open door God's been stirring in me God's been saying that I need to walk deeper with him go deeper with him and and we're going to give you the and somebody's going to respond to the open door and I would submit that every time we respond to the open door it prepares us for God to open another door and some of us are waiting for doors to open but God's saying I need you to go through the door that's already open before I can open the next doors 
Come on now. Number five, I think the fifth way that we discover God's will in our life is we have to get confirmation from those that know us best. And so if you're doing life alone, you're the guy that showed up to American Idol thinking you could sing. Because you didn't have any friends that said, please don't do that. You're going to embarrass your family. They're going to be playing the repeats on you forever. Please don't do that. Anyone can give advice, but only a few in your life can give you counsel. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody could give advice. But you need a few that can give you counsel. A few that know your heart. So here's what I would suggest. I I, I would suggest cultivating friendships before you ever need the counsel. So that when you need the counsel, you've already got the friendship in the bag before you need the decision. We ought to have some people that know us the most that can confirm that. It, it, It always bothers me when I see somebody that's their, their, their marriage has gone sideways and is a disaster or some, something has happened. And they say things like, I don't know how I got here. But your parents warned you. Your pastor warned you. Your best friends warned you. But you didn't want to listen to nobody. Come on, everybody. we got to be willing to have some counsel given to us in our life. There ought to be somebody that confirms, man, I feel like God is doing this. And there needs to be somebody in your life goes, you know what, I see that too. Or somebody says, man, you are way off base, (laughs) right? And and somebody that can guide you and help you. Come on, everybody's going to need somebody sometime. At bare minimum, here it comes, the shameless plug. At bare minimum, you ought to be in a text life group. Because when you need prayer, when you need wisdom, you got three or four people right there that says, I can do that. I can pray with you. I can help you out. Come on now, right? Number six. Let me do number six. Number six, when we're trying to discover God's will, there should be joy. Here's one that I think is the most often overlooked in Christian circles. There ought to be some joy. You see, some people falsely believe that God is trying to break you and break you down and make you do something you hate. You ever hear that in Christian circles? Well, I didn't want to, but God made me. Huh? What kind of, what, what, what kind of theology is that? My God made me miserable. Hallelujah. I'm better for it. Huh? You know what people that have that kind of theology become the mean, bitter, angry Christians that you don't want to be around? Because they're secretly mad about everything that they don't get to do, but they can't tell you that they're mad about it. And so now they want to put their madness and their convictions on you. Come on, everybody, right? You ever met that person? It's just, there ought to be some joy. Um... I grew up in church. I was scared to death that God was going to call me to be a missionary. I I was scared to death that God was going to call me to missionary because every missionary that ever came to our church would start off a testimony something like this. I never wanted to go, but God made me. I was terrified. I didn't want to go to Africa. I didn't want to live in a mud hut. I didn't want to wear a grass skirt. I didn't want to eat caterpillars the rest of my life. I didn't want to go to Africa. So I was scared to death to submit my will to God's will because I was taught that the more holy you are, the more miserable you are. And I don't want to do that. 
Come on now. Anybody ever heard any theology at least similar to that, right? Uh, but then one day I was reading the Bible. In the middle of, oh God, I don't want to be miserable. Please don't send me to Africa. I, I, I'm allergic to bugs and I'm, uh, I just, I don't like it. I, you know, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden one day I was reading the Bible and the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not being miserable in God is my strength. Come on, what kind of God do we, how do we run to a God that makes us do something we hate? Right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And and the thing that brings me joy and fulfillment, come on, that's where He wants us to walk. He wants us to walk in the thing, because He designed you to get joy. How many know you get joy from some things and you don't get joy from other things? But isn't it weird how there's some other people that get a lot of joy from the thing you hate? Glory to God, let them go to Africa. Right? Because God created us all different. Can anybody tell I love to preach? I was so mad last week. I was like, I'll show up. They wouldn't let me show up. I'll show up anyway. I I just want to preach God's word. There's joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Come on. I'm doing pretty good for 50% of my energy. How many know what I'm saying, right? Because the joy of the Lord. Gladness. I think it's one of the things that we forget to measure. There, There ought to be gladness when you're doing the thing that God has called you to do. Come on now. Right? There ought to be. Now, now, hold on. I know there's some theologians out there thinking, yeah, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard. Of course it's hard. Last week was hard. The baptismal tank flooded the whole building. It was hard. I couldn't even be here. It was really hard for me somebody else. Because somebody else had to clean it up. But there's a difference, watch this, between what's hard and what's miserable. I think that gladness is the most overlooked signpost when we're trying to discover the will of God in our life. I've watched Christians make decisions on what they perceive to be God's will based on what makes them the most miserable. Because somehow they equate that into, whew, God's going to really love me for sacrificing. No, 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 no. God is blessed when you're joyful. Come on, when you're singing and worshiping and you're joyful, when, when, when you get to come to church and you don't have to come to church, when you get to preach and you don't have to preach, when you get to greet and you don't have to greet, when you get to pray and you don't have to pray, that's what blesses God, everybody, right? Come on now. Samson had most of these six. But Samson has something in that verse that I read to you that I think we often overlook. And it's that that I want to end this message with. When we're trying to discover and discern the will of God in our life, Samson shows us something in this story. That'll be my last point, number seven. As I think sometimes we have to look at the failures you've had in your life. And I think sometimes the failures can be good indicators in how God wants to use us. God God wants to use the failures in our lives. Watch this. Watch this. Maybe God wants to use the failure to strengthen us. Did you notice in the story that he didn't tear the lion apart until the failure? He didn't discover his power until the failure. 
We're in a society that's working so hard not to have failures. And when we do, we cover up the failures. But maybe our strength is in our mess up. Maybe we ought to have a culture filled with grace that says it's okay if you try and fail. Come on, everybody. It's okay if you try something great. It's okay if you try to have a spectacular weekend and it all goes sideways and the building gets flooded. It's okay if you try something great for God. God's still honored in the faith that you executed to do that thing. Maybe our power is when we fall down. Okay, I'm preaching way too fanatical for only three people in the room. I get it. Watch Samson discover his supernatural strength right in the midst of a failure. If God was in this thing, how does... I'm talking the honeymoon, everybody. I'm not talking about five years into marriage. I'm not talking five months into marriage. I'm talking the ceremony is still going on and the best man ends up with the bride that is a whacked out story but verse number four says that they didn't know that god was in it they didn't know that god was going to use that as an occasion to do something supernatural is it possible that the failure we've been hiding the thing we're most frightened about is the very thing that God wants to use. Mm. I, I wonder if when we're trying to discover the will of God, if we ought to just take a minute and look backwards at the times we failed and what did we learn in the middle of the failure. You see, the will of God is an interesting thing. The, the will of God led Jesus to a wilderness, everybody. Oh, 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 hold on. If that's not enough, the will of God led Jesus to a cross, everybody. How could the will of God have anything that looks tragic? How could the will of God be Jonah being called to Nineveh, but he turns around and goes to Tarshish? Let me tell you, Jesus steps on the scene, and, 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 and how in the world could we look at a story like Jonah and say that was the will of God? Jonah in the belly of a well, he was in flat-out rebellion. But watch Jesus show up, and Jesus point toward Jonah and say, that's a picture of who I am. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days, I'll be in the grave for three days. And just as Jonah will be spit out on the seashore. After I've been in the belly for three days, I will come walking on the seashores of Galilee. If that was a failure, how could Jesus turn around and point at the very thing that many preachers have said that was a major failure? Mm. Hmm. Look at verse number 6 real quick with me, and I'll, I'll close this up. Verse number 6 says something that I, I find kind of fascinating. Uh, yeah, there we go. There it is. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Now, I won't take the time to go back and read the entire story, but let me remind you of a couple phrases that we read earlier. Here's Samson. He's on a road, and um, the Bible says he has nothing in his hand. In fact, here it is again. So he tore, it, it came powerfully upon him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. But, 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 but watch this. He had nothing in his hands. 
I want you to see all the negatives real, real quick. He, he had nothing in his hands. He's on the wrong road. He's going the wrong direction. He, he is passionate about the wrong woman. And a lion jumps out. Stop the story right there. Stop the story. Lion midair. Rawr. Okay? Stop the story right there. Because most Christians' theology would say, he's out of the will of God. Because he's broke. <laughs> he has nothing in his hand. He's on the wrong road, going the wrong direction, desiring the wrong woman, and a lion comes out. Most Christians would say, that's what you get for being out of the will of God. Most Christians would say, he missed God on that one. Most Christians would say, man, you would have never encountered the lion if you would have been in the will of God. Nothing in your hand, wrong road, wrong direction, wrong woman. Of course there's going to be a lion. Hmm. His parents are mad at him. Let's just keep adding all the signs. His parents are mad at him, and the lion jumps out. But maybe verse 4 is teaching us that our failures help us discover God's will. Maybe the lion is there. Maybe it's what I said earlier. Maybe why don't I quit hiding our failures? Because it might be the very thing. Samson would have never discovered how strong he was to tear apart this lion if the thing hadn't gone sideways. The Bible says in verse number 4, but God was looking for an occasion. Let me paraphrase. God was looking for an occasion to show off. God was looking for an occasion to show His power. Maybe you're right in the middle of your wrong road, wrong direction, debacle, mess up, train wreck, because God is looking for a place to show off in your life. And until you come to an end of yourself, you cannot get God to show off in your life. One more thing, I promise. This is it, this is it. Judges chapter number 14. Take it, take it over, over to verse number 8 and 9. Watch this real quick. Sometime later, okay, so he kills, a, it's so funny, go home and read this, because he's on the road with his mom and dad. He tears apart the lion, but his mom and dad don't even know he tears apart the lion. What kind, where were they? I mean, they don't notice there's a little ruckus going on. I mean, there, there's a man fighting a lion, and the mom and dad don't even notice. Sometime later, check this out, when, they went back to when he went back to marry her, he turned aside, watch this, to look at the lion's carcass. And in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Watch this. He scooped out the honey with his hands, and he ate it as he went along. Say, Ken, I just don't understand why you're so excited about that. Because maybe our, the sweetness and our strength comes out of our failures. Maybe it's when everything goes sideways. If he hadn't have been on the what we thought is the wrong road, going the wrong direction, with nothing. Oh, by the way, with nothing in his hand, how are you going to scoop out the sweetness if your hands are full of everything else? Sometimes you and God is all you need to have. When you have nothing except God, that's when you realize that's all I ever need anyway. Are, are you seeing this? Watch this. Later in his life, the thing that we would have dared call the failure. Wrong road, wrong direction, wrong woman, mom and dad mad, empty hand, 
and a lion comes out. Out of the will of God? I don't know. A lot of us want verse number 8, but we're not willing to endure verse number 4. Because a lot of people, when you get to the uncomfortable part, we bail and we ask God to deliver us. But what if it's not God delivering us? What if it's God's power to bring us through it? And on the other side of the thing that's uncomfortable, on the other side of a pandemic, on the other, come on everybody, there's some sweetness and there's some strength. If he had never gone through it, he wouldn't recognize how strong he was. If he would have never gone through it, he would have never reached down and grabbed a handful of honey. I'm asking you right now, what sweet thing is God ready to do in your life? What strength is God ready to show up in your life if you'll quit running from the thing you're afraid of and face it head on? It don't have to look pretty. It don't have to look good. What if God's looking for an occasion to show off in your life? Let me read one more verse to you, I promise. This is just a little extra, real quick. Verse, watch this. At the very end of the story, Samson says, let me tell you a riddle. And, and that's all I want to say. But I looked up, I, w- I was very curious, because they get to the wedding ceremony, he says, I want to tell you a riddle. You can read the story later. But watch this, a riddle. A riddle. So I looked up this word riddle. Here's the definition, I'll close with it. Oh, a riddle is a question or a problem so framed that it requires our ingenuity in answering it or discovering the resolve. Some of you right now feel like God has you right in the middle of a riddle. I don't understand this. I don't know why I'm in this. How can God love me? And He hasn't answered my prayer. It's just a riddle. Have you ever felt like life was a riddle? Have you ever felt like I just don't get it? (laughs) Right? Come on, let me preach to somebody who knows what I'm talking about, right? It just, it's like, man, life is a riddle. I can't figure it out. I've studied this. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. It still doesn't make sense. Watch the definition. I'll close. It's a question so formed and so framed that it requires our ingenuity in answering. In other words, if I'm going to figure out, if I'm going to figure out what the next phase is in life, if I'm going to figure out the strength, if I'm going to figure out the sweetness, if I always do what I've always done, I'm always going to get what I've always had. But if I'm willing to do something a little different, step out a little different, trust God a little different, exercise faith a little different, get counsel a little bit different, pray a little bit longer, praise a little bit different, if, I, if I'm willing to try something different and say, God, what are you doing in the middle of this riddle? It's going to take something different. It, what you have is what got you to the riddle. But to get on the other side of the riddle is going to take some strength and some sweetness. And that might be the will of God for our lives. Will you receive that, everybody? I'm going to end right there, right there, right there. <laughs>